Welcome to another edition of the Weekend Update. I'm your host, Will Walker, and joining me as he does every week, it is John Kraft. Welcome to the pod. Thanks. Been better, for sure, but I'm glad to be here. Glad to get some stuff off our chest. So Yeah, it's been a tough week uh, for the Grizzlies. It's also been a really tough week for Memphis, and it's not lost on us, the timing of this recording. And we were talking before the show about how we wanted to go about addressing things, and I know that most people who are tuning in here, all people who are tuning in, are are listening uh, to us for the Grizzlies and our thoughts on the Grizzlies. And so we are not necessarily going to um, going to take time away from from talking about the team um, to focus on something that is, uh, you know, simultaneously. Uh, very complicated and also not complicated at all, but obviously it's something that means way more than what's happening on the basketball court. And when there is overlap, that you know that's fair to judge. Then we will. But overall, you know, we're going to stick to the Grizzlies on this episode uh, with the point in mind that there are way more important things going on right now. Kraft, what are your thoughts? Yeah, the same thing. I mean, obviously the. The Tyree Nichols situation has become a national story, and I think, uh, obviously, for us, uh, we have a lot of opinions. We can talk about it, but it's a Grizzlies podcast. So, uh, But we will, I think, touch on it in the sense that I do think it affects our team. Um, you know, in particular, I think it affected uh, how we played in the T-Wolves game, and we'll talk about that more later. Um, but just, I guess, in a, just a general, you know, prayers out um, uh, to the Nichols family and to, to Memphis and really to the nation and, and everything else. So, The Grizzlies are 31-18. and 18. They are still second in the Western Conference. They're tied for fourth in the NBA, uh, which is kind of crazy to think about after the stretch we just had. Offensive rating 113.8, which is good for 12th. Defensive rating at 109.7, somehow we're still first. And net rating at a 4.1, which is good for fourth in the NBA overall. As has been the case for the last two months, the Grizzlies are uh, at a 5.7 in point differential per cleaning the glass, which is good for second in the NBA. We are going to start off with the news. John, you want to take us away there? Yeah, sure. So the, our first story, um, which is again a lot of a lot of negative news this week, but Stephen Adams uh, took an awkward fall at the end of the Phoenix game, um, and I kind of remember it. And it kind of it's like one of those uh, terrible injuries too, just because the the he was trying to make a hustle play, but obviously even if he had saved it perfectly, uh, the clock was running out, and so to get an injury in kind of a moment that doesn't like really matter is is really upsetting but uh with that he hurt his knee uh and it was announced so he he took a game off and even just walking around the bench when you saw him he didn't look right so it looked like okay this isn't just going to be a day-to-day thing and then later the team announced that he was going to miss three to five weeks with a pcl sprain in his right knee um, so big loss, uh, I think, you know, uh, shout out to like Steven Adams stats on Twitter and other people. I think if you're, if y'all listen to our podcast a lot, you know, that the Steven Adams just does a lot of the little things, uh, that make us go, um, especially offensive rebounding and also just setting screens for jaw, uh, two, two of many things that he does. He also play makes, I think some people have made the, you know, the comment that all three of our best players, uh, Steven Adams enhances all three of them. Jaw with the screens, Bain with sort of the 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 cuts that he makes and the passes that Steven Adams, 
gives to him and, and his three-point percentage is much higher when Adams is on the floor. And then obviously with Jaron, uh, Steven Adams around the rim allows Jaron to really roam and create havoc uh, with blocks and steals. So, uh, so big loss for us. Um, you know, do you have any thoughts about Steven? Well, it's one of those things where you go back, you look at the play, you look at the time of the play, and you wish that he had just never, never, you know, dove for the ball and it wouldn't have, we wouldn't be sitting here where we are today talking about it. But at the end of the day, that does what, that is what makes Steven Adams great is that yeah. his willingness to do the dirty work, his willingness to dive on the floor as a seven feet plus human. Yes. Uh, and, I just love like that's another part of the little things that if he, if you look back to like he gets so many tie ups when there's loose balls things like that um, so all the little things that he does well we are going to miss I noted in the intro of of the last podcast that we released that the timeline for this actually works out in the Grizzlies' favor if you're going to have a three to five week stretch where somebody gets injured you want it to be during the all-star break when right. everybody gets a week off and there are no games being played. So this could have very well been 15, 16 games missed. And now it's going to be like 10 to 12 uh, right. per the timeline. And so we're going to be keeping tabs on this, trying to keep our heads above water as Steven is out. Um, yeah. an- another piece of injury news, John Conchar, who has not been playing well recently, and we've noted his struggles on this podcast as well. He was ruled out for concussion protocol uh, prior to the Golden State game, and that kind of tracks. If you look back to to the way that he's been playing, just hasn't had a lot of activity, hasn't no. been hitting shots that, honestly, he's normally hit. Um, even He's never been a high-usage player, but in right. the spots where he does get, get run, uh, he's done a ton of things on the floor. He's our now new Mr. Do-something in a way, yeah. and... Um, this kind of makes sense, I guess. We're going to see when he comes back, assuming he'll, he'll come back in the next few games. Uh, does he play better as a result of being healthy and fully yeah. healthy? We'll see. But uh, that was just something notable. Yeah, one of my, I mean, and obviously uh, <laughs> this is always pet peeves and it drives some of my friends crazy with my plus minus stats. But, you know, Conchar still is part of, uh, I believe, the best Grizzlies lineup. It's true. Uh, and... And so, and, and which is one of the top lineup in the NBA. And so while I think a lot of people have been talking about, look at the last five, six games, he's not really scored many points. And, and obviously I think we've complained ourselves about watching him miss open threes. It feels like he's been missing a lot more open shots lately. At the end of the day, he's still a great plus minus player. And so I think he does a lot of things that don't necessarily show up on the stats. And even if he doesn't score, he impacts the game with a sort of his rebound. Honestly, just makes the offense flow uh, because he passes the ball. He makes the right play. And so I think he is, you know, a sneaky miss. And I also think that, um, you know, he just kind of been hit with sickness, concussion. He just kind of I think he's been off, but it's been for, you know, reasons, not just his own play. Uh, you know, one other thought with that, I just think, um, to kind of throw that out there because, you know, Conchar has been in and out and now, um, and with Adams being out, you know, a silver lining is we do have a buffer in the standings. You said like we've, we're coming off a five game losing streak. We have not really, nothing's changed in the standings. We are still second strong. And I do think that one, you know, with Conchar out, I do think it gives some time to get some rookies in to get maybe Zaire a few more minutes to figure some stuff out. And with Adams out, I think it's an, it, the silver lining is it gives us, you know, some time to maybe see more of the Clark Jaron lineups to let Jaron play five more and deal with some fa- potential foul trouble issues, which I know we'll talk about. 
uh, that, you know, that there's that one of the things that we often get upset about W's and L's and gets get carried away about certain things. But but also part of being a team that cares about the playoffs is experimenting, trying different defenses, trying different John lineups that you can then use in the playoffs. And I do think while I'm going to be sad and I think we're going to probably lose some games we shouldn't with Adams out of the lineup, uh, I do. I do think it's an opportunity to try to play some different lineups and see what we have because, you know, as we saw last year in the playoffs, the T wolves was just a matchup where Adams didn't need to be on the court a lot. And so I think this is an opportunity for us to try some of those things. So silver lining. I hate it. I want Adams back as soon as possible. I want Conchar back as soon as possible, but these are kind of the silver linings that sometimes comes with injuries. Some good news also popped up. John, you want to talk about Yeah, Danny green announced uh, hilariously uh, you know, announced on his podcast, but then Woj spoiled his podcast, trying to figure out if that was if Danny Green wanted Woj to spoil his podcast so he would get more listens or not. Who knows? But uh, we got the Woj bomb and Danny Green on his podcast announcing that he was going to return from injury and he even gave a date, very ungrizzlies like, <laughs> gave a I'm going to be back on February 1st versus the Blazers. Uh, it was funny seeing Jenkins be asked about it and affirm it. And it felt very weird just because that's just not Jenkins. <laughs> they don't like giving real dates and stuff. But uh, but that's how it goes in the, the new media days. Uh, but uh, Danny Green's coming back on February 1st. And I think this is exciting news because I think we're going to get to see Danny Green uh, a week before the trade deadline. And so that could potentially help as far as either kind of showing, hey, this guy can play. So you're not just getting an expiring contract if we trade or for the Grizzlies to say, oh, maybe we do have something here. Maybe we don't have to give away future assets uh, to get kind of for a win now move because we have Danny Green. He is our win now move. So that's sort of, uh, you know, the, the, the thought and, and it kind of led to me to have a hot take and maybe, you know, it's interesting to me that if you look back on the Grizzlies and a lot of their, their deals in the past, um, concluding the Melton deal, uh, going way back, you know, including the Steven Adams deal, it was always, people always were talking about other players. And so it became the, oh, the Grizzlies are moving up in the draft to get Zaire Williams. And so they're giving up JV to get Steven Adams. Uh, that we tend to have this stuff happen a lot. And so, you know, we've talked a lot about and debated a lot, and maybe we'll even talk about it more later, uh, the the Melton-Ferrati deal. And I think Danny Green was kind of an afterthought. But if you go back and think about what Kleiman was saying about preparing for the playoffs, and, and really, honestly, a lot of the hot takes in the media, locally and nationally, about what the Grizzlies need and stuff, they – they keep talking about needing a vet presence. They keep talking about a guy who can hit that corner three that's open because your best players are getting double teamed in the playoffs. Like Danny Green is that person. The the healthy Danny Green, the the healthy younger Danny Green is for sure that person. Um, you know, there is a mystery to how what he's gonna look like. But but this could be, you know, we could look back in in a year and say, oh, it wasn't really the Melton for Roddy deal. We got Roddy, but it was the Melton for Danny Green deal. So that, but I don't know what you think about that. Yeah, for sure. I I think a healthy Danny Green is exactly what the team needs. The healthy question is the question, and we don't know how he's going to move. I love that we're going to get some data on him prior to the trade deadline. To me, the, the other part of the story that's being lost and everything going on with Danny Green is his continued, um, I guess, his continued desire 
to want to stay on this roster past this season. And that's a big deal for the Grizzlies because, number one, it's it's really cool to see that he wants to be part of this culture, part of this team. Number two, how much are you going to re-sign Danny Green for? That can not only take up a roster spot, it can also be tricky because he's been in the league for so long, therefore his minimum salary, if he's going to take a minimum, is going to be a lot higher than other guys, and it's going to be different from how the Grizzlies have operated in the past. With all that said, he might be exactly what this team needs. He might be the corner three threat, the defensive above average uh, on the wing right. uh, presence. He he could serve the Grizzlies well, and it's going to be a big question on on whether or not they decide to cash in the Danny Green chip. Uh, and I think I, I'm not sure how much data is going to be pulled from his his time on the floor prior to the trade deadline. I got to think that you know it's going to affect the court of public opinion a whole lot. But we'll see. We'll see. I was. I was very encouraged to see that he was not only ahead of schedule, um, but also that he is still campaigning to try and stay around. Yes. Um, so we'll see what Yeah, happens. that says something about our culture that he would want to stay. And, I mean, and more than that, that he's a player who at this point is all about legacy and and he likes being known as sort of like the new Robert Ory, the guy who, you know, is that linchpin that collects, you know, uh, titles. So anyway. NBA fans, it's time to bring the hoops action to the palm of your hand with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. This week, new customers can bet $5 and win $200 in free bets instantly. Plus, for a limited time, all new and existing customers can get a no-sweat same-game parlay every day. Go to the DraftKings Sportsbook app today, opt-in, place the same-game parlay on any NBA game, and if it doesn't hit, you'll get a free bet back. Download the app now and sign up with code TBPN. New customers can bet $5 on the NBA and get $200 in free bets instantly. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA with code TBPN. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. Void in Ohio. See show notes for details. Well, let's get into talking about the games from last week, and I'll present a question to you, John. Is it time for the Grizzlies to panic? It is not time for the Grizzlies to panic. Uh, I mean, not shocking coming from me. Uh, I probably annoy people. People will probably get annoyed with how little uh, I want to panic. Although, I will say, I admit to, I do have moments of panic after every loss, um, and then I usually... Uh, you know, doom scroll on Twitter for a little while and then go to bed and then wake up. And then I think try to get perspective on the fact that even though we've just lost uh, coming off our, uh, the, our fifth straight loss, that we still are second, that all our metrics still look good. Um, and, and maybe annoyingly so as we go through all these losses that we can talk about them individually, that, n- that I think individually, none of them, have a major cause for concern, but I do think collectively there is, you know, a little bit of a level of concern. Um, and so I think that can get us into, you know, do we need to make trades? Do we need things? But it is make me excited about Danny green coming back because I think, uh, that's another thing to kind of look at, but, uh, but overall, obviously we're not playing well. Uh, we really need to win our, our home game at Indiana against a very bad team. Hopefully I think this is a, a, a get back week 
for us coming up and we'll talk about that shortly. But, um, but I do not think it's time to panic. I think all the metrics show that you're talking about, we're still the number one defense in the league. We still have the second best net rating. These metrics uh, correspond to winning correspond to titles and playoff success. And so I think I trust those metrics. Yeah. And if you look at the Suns game, the Warriors game, and even before that in the Lakers game, those three were lost by a total of five points. Right. The Kings game in between the Suns and the Warriors was on the second night of a back-to-back. We didn't play John Morant. The Kings set records for the three-point efficiency, yep. uh, hit their first 10, and um, we were obviously tired. And so it's one of those games after a loss, it's the Kings on a back-to-back. You wish that you had gotten one of the wins before that. Yes. If we had, that's the the way that I look at it um, is I look at the result, I see the reaction to the result, and then I try to think if we had won this game by one instead of losing it by right. one, are any of these concerns that are being talked about still concerns? Right. And so I think it's really important for us here to talk process and then talk about results. Obviously, results are, you know, your record is what you what it says right. you are. Uh, but there are just a few things that I would I wrote down <laughs> to talk through. And the first of which is the narrative of Jaron's fouls. And I want to isolate one game in particular, which is the Golden State game. He happened to foul out in this game. I want to go through each foul very briefly. And you may or may not remember these, but I just think it's really important to put into context each one. So the very first foul happened in the first quarter. Steph had a backdoor cut. He Steph lost the ball and fell, brushed Jaron Jackson Jr. Jaron got the call. Now, Steph's the super superstar player. You know, you might get one or two fouls in a game. Refs aren't perfect. Um, so you can expect one to two bad fouls a game, especially on front court players who spend a lot of time roaming and in the paint. That was in the first quarter. He didn't get a second foul until the third quarter. Very important note here. And it was on an Anthony Lamb drive. Jaron was backing up and here the, with the Steph foul, the Anthony Lamb foul, um, both of those, the one critique I'll make of Jaron is that he has to get his hands out of the way a lot sooner because that's, I think, what the ref sees. And it's still not a foul, though. So, like, he's backing up. Anthony Lamb has a little baby flop, and so that was a second foul in the third quarter. Jermichael Green, later in the third quarter, has a pump fake. Jaron and Santi both jump. Jermichael Green gets out of the way, goes up. They both come down, but really... It could have. It was another situation where Jermichael Green fell. Like it, it was a big judgment call. And even then, like Santi was just as much a part of the play as Jaron. So that's his third yeah, he, foul. Santi, the, San, I feel like that foul should have gone to Santi. If right. Anything. So that's in the third quarter. And then he gets his next three all in the fourth quarter. Number the first one was Jaron. He was driving very, like barely extends his arm on Dante Givincenzo. Gets called for an offensive foul. Now again with the hands, Jaron, you got to be smarter with right. the hands. But at the same time. Like, it wasn't at a point where it was obvious. Like, yeah. another judgment well, it's, call. It's one of those, like, that was one, um, because I was watching it with a bunch of people, and I said, well, that was one because, like, the hook, when you hook people, yes. it is an automatic. The, the, the weird thing, though, is because DiVincenzo is so small, and Jaron has such long arms, 
he didn't really hook him, but his arms hooked. Yes. But he didn't like actually physically hook him. It was just like my, you know, Jaron's right arm is so long that it just kind of curves in a way that like makes it look, but, but that to me of, of all the fouls, I mean, this would be my take. That was the most legitimate, like, I can't blame a ref for calling that, but I, I do think that there are times when that's not called. Yeah. Okay. So, Number one, in the first quarter, the first foul, you have the Steph superstar treatment. That's one bad foul call. Number two, yes, if you hook, even if it's, you know, just for size uh, reasons, like that's two. So two fouls through for a, a power forward center, like that's not bad. The the fourth, or excuse me, the fifth foul in the, was also in the fourth quarter. So you had three in the fourth quarter. Like I said, was on a pool drive where Jaron was just trailing pool falls. Not a foul. I'm sorry, no. not a foul. And the last one was a loose ball where Jaron and Draymond Green are both going for a rebound. Watch it over again. Like, they're both, they both, I say collide. Yeah. It wasn't a huge collision at all. It was a loose ball on a rebound. Another huge judgment call that, and Draymond, you can credit him being smart, knowing the foul oh, situation he of Jaron. It knowing. He, he leaned yeah. in, kind of uh, jerked back. Very, you know, in a small way, but just enough for the ref to see. Anyway, so, and then that's when I feel like, as things do on NBA Rivalry Week, by the way, this was where we played the right. Warriors and, and uh, Timberwolves. But when you have a national stage and uh, Jaron is already known, he already has a reputation, people don't look at these individual fouls. They look at the totality right. of the foul fouls and that's not to say he doesn't have a problem like Jaron has a a foul issue but it's gone way too far and we need to start if it's going to take him winning defensive player of the year to start getting the benefit of the doubt Mm -hmm. here especially when you contrast it with Draymond Green who gets away with murder on the floor like this is ridiculous I am so tired and I love Worldwide Wob. He's already on this corner now with the Jaron fouls. He's already yeah. tweeting out in the Timberwolves game three fouls in ten minutes for Jaron Jackson. If you look at the Timberwolves game again, he's getting like two of those were suspect at yes. best. So I just think it's a terrible narrative to adopt. I, I think there's, you know, everything that gets blown out of proportion starts with a little bit of truth and then you take it way too far. Right. This has been taken way too far with Jaron. And unfortunately it's in his own head. So he has that mentality going into right. a game where he's just, I mean, I mean, yes, it's, it's not, it's not like he knows that they aren't fouls, but at the same time, like he's got to be a little bit smarter with his hands. Like there's a few things that he yeah, can do. He definitely can be better, but it's, it's, it, he gets for someone who's as good of a defensive player as he is, uh, he gets a really bad whistle. And I know earlier on a podcast I uh, listened to from Ben Golliver, national writer, he was saying that he, uh, just having been to some Grizzlies game and talked to people behind the scenes, he would say that that Jaron, uh, kind of his poutiness and the way he has a bad reputation with the refs, they do not like him. And that he was saying he needs to go on like a, a, a sort of like redemption tour with the refs. And basically be told, stop complaining at all, be super nice, know all the refs' first names. Because he says there's a noticeable frustration between him and the refs. Um, you know, and, and this has happened to other players. You know, famously Duncan had had this with a couple refs. Um, Chris Paul has it with a couple refs. Uh, but it sounds like Jaron has it with multiple refs. And and hopefully, you know, he can sort of that that as, you know, he 
he become gets more and more defensive accolades that, that that will calm down. But but it's also hard just because that is one of the things that you forget is like I know just from glancing at Twitter from national media people, you know, the Grizz Warriors, there was some great games that night because it is rivalry week, not just nationally. And so most people only watch the fourth quarter. Um, because I think it was like the Bucks game was on right before that that was really good and some other games. And so a lot of people shifted to the Grizz Warriors just for the fourth quarter. And so, of course, they turn on the fourth quarter and they think, oh, here's Jaron in foul trouble again and all this stuff. It's not like, no, he actually had one foul the entire first half. Um, and, th- and that just kind of stuff happens, seems to happen a lot. I also think that teams are game planning for it because – he is, um, despite some conspiracy uh, Reddit threats, he is having an historic defensive year, and um, and it's not a and it's not a surprise that when Jaron was off the floor, the Golden State Warriors made a big comeback and won that game, and and teams are game planning around trying to get fouls on him and trying to pick up early fouls and get him in foul trouble. And I think the Warriors are really, really good at that because they're an extremely high basketball IQ team. And so the two games we've played, they've gotten him in foul trouble. And I think almost on purpose. Yeah. I also would critique Jenkins a little bit in this, especially like last night in the Timberwolves game where you're down 10, uh, you're already in the second half. Jaron's gotten a couple of foul calls that shouldn't have been and he has one, I believe it was either in the third or the fourth quarter, where he has a block, a transition block on Jalen Noel, and they called him for a foul. If I'm Jenkins in that situation, you have nothing to lose. Why not just challenge the call? Because I think some support for your guy would go a really long way. Mm-hmm. I, I think that Jenkins is, is has had some issues with challenges in the past. This season, not as much. Just give credit where credit's due. But I do think that he's been really conservative with them. Right. And I think a challenge in support of your guy who has not necessarily gotten the fairest treatment from the whistle, I think that would go a long way. Yeah. So if I'm Jenkins, I would definitely consider that moving no, forward, I, even I think, if it's earlier than you would want. Right. Like I think the conventional wisdom is people like to hold it either for the final couple minutes of the game uh, or coaches like to hold it for three-point fouls because that's where a lot of times you have three-point shooters kick their legs out, do some different things, and and, and obviously a overturning a three-free-throw foul is a really good challenge to use. But I think because of how important Jaron is and because of how crazy the off-on metrics are with him – like having him have to go out of the game for any stretch because of foul trouble is worth challenging. If it's, I think if it's 50, 50, honestly, yeah. So I totally agree with you. How much time do we want to give to the Reddit threads? How <laughs> ridiculous was it? <laughs> so, yeah, so many of you, uh, so I, my guess is that if you're on Twitter, you've seen the, the conspiracy thread about Jaron, um, or honestly, you're probably getting sent it from friends who know you're a Grizz fan uh, but basically there is a Reddit thread about Jaron's statistics being way better um, at home than on the road. And because of this, it was basically theorized that the the Grizzly scorekeeper uh, is somehow biased for Jaron and do, gives him sort of the benefit of the doubt on steals and blocks, um, which is hilarious. You know, the blocks thing especially is funny. But uh, that there is like some home cooking going on and that – Jaron's historic season. Um, you know, let's not talk about the advanced metrics yet. We might get in that a second. But just on the blocks and steals, his historic season that he's having uh, is solely just home cooking by Memphis. Well, I mean, you got to know if you're going to make these accusation, accusations, you got to know the process. Every single block and steal is reviewed. 
by uh, an official in New Jersey. You think that the NBA in this day and age, with all of the gambling money involved, would lead it, leave it to local yeah. stat guys who, I mean, my father-in-law did it for a while, and he is really good at it. He's been doing it for 20 years, and I would trust the stats that he record- he's right. recording. Even he would most likely say... We should not be the end-all, be-all on these on these uh, calls. And yeah, we give our best guess. They're going to all be reviewed anyway. I just think it's really ignorant to put in. And maybe we can talk about this unless you have other things to, to touch on with it. But like, I think it goes to this broader point and broader narrative of the Grizzlies might be the most hated team in the NBA yes. at this point. Yeah, so I mean, I do want to get to that. But just quickly, I mean, I just think... It is that there is an objective bystander checking all the stats, Vegas uh, contract incentives from teams and players. There's too much at stake for there to be this kind of conspiracy theory um, about Jaron. And by the way, if in case you were wondering, the Grizzlies have the best home record in the NBA. They're, you know, 20 and three, I believe they have a below 500 record on the road. And like, that's something we're also going to touch on, but so maybe that means that that one of their best players plays better at home than the road. We just talked about the refereeing situation. Maybe the refing is better at home than the road, which it normally is for the home team. So that allows Jaron to be more aggressive than he is um, on the road. And so there are a lot of reasons. And obviously you look up and down all the statistics show that, you know, people's stats are better at home than the road. Almost always. Uh, we, he also, is a very young player, another thing that, that makes it home. So it, and, and basically it's been discounted by a ton of stuff. And then just the other point, obviously there's an objective person checking all these. The second thing is if stats and if steals and blocks were just thrown out and you purely used analytics like on off, like field goal percentage defense that you cannot cook at all. Like there's nothing opinionated or subjective about it. Jaron would still be the defensive player of the year because he kills all those uh, statistics too. So there's really, it's really. Box and steals are the icing on the cake. So with that, let's get back to the Jersey's being the most hated team because that is where this conspiracy, I believe, is coming from. Uh, by the way, the people pushing it are uh, Warriors fans from LA, Lakers fans, Pelicans fans, um, some, some Miami Heat BAM fans <laughs> who want him to win defensive player of the year. Uh, but. But yes, so I do think we're getting that moniker of being the most hated team. So okay, we have to we have to lay out all the reasons why, um, and some of those reasons have to do with with the self inflicted part of of this, which is John Morant loves to talk, and he had a media appearance earlier this year. And he shouldn't have said what he said, in my opinion. I hate when you put an unnecessary target on your back because if you're good enough. Mm-hmm. If you're the number two seed in the West and have been now for two years in a row and you're this young, you're this charismatic, you're going to get team's best shots. So why give them more ammo right. to give for them to give you your best, their best shot? And so, yes, self-inflicted, Ja. Bane loves to talk. Um, I think we're a fun-loving crew that can really rub off, I think, on teams the wrong way because it's just seen maybe as corny, maybe as just... Uh, uh, but the biggest thing is we haven't won anything yet, and yet we're talking like a team that has. Yeah, There's a part of it which is very charming and 
I yeah, love I the confidence. I, I kind of love it. So you're, see, I think this is, we might differ a little bit yes. because like, I love it for the culture internally. I don't love it when it's now, right. when you're going to get more Nash on a bigger national stage and it's going to be what people mm-hmm. talk about. It's the very first thing that people think of when they think of the Grizzlies, I bet. Like from an outside perspective, he, yes. they don't think of the brilliance of John. They might think of the dunks of John Morant, but they don't think mm-hmm. of like the brilliant things that he does all across the floor. They don't think of the youth. They don't think of Jaron. They, they think this is a team that likes to talk and likes to have fun. That's great when you're winning. Yeah. When you go on a five-game losing oh, streak, yeah. those types of things <laughs> are just low-hanging fruit to people for people yeah. to come at you. And yes, we could talk. We're, I mean, the, we were breaking it down on this podcast right now why we don't need to panic because this is just a right. moment in time. But I also think that we're putting fuel in the fire. Yeah. Whether that, or not the fire is, is Oh, no. Th- thus, thus, the now, um, and this is, v- again, very niche, um, but the, the sort of Gen Z Lob City moniker, oh. which, you know, is a, is a killer one um, uh, because, you know, of course, coming from millennials uh, mostly and boomers, but the Gen Z term, but really the Lob City because, and what they love is they know that for Grizzlies fans, having any correlation to those LA Clipper teams of Chris Paul and Blake Griffin uh, get us very upset. Especially because we were the antithesis yes, to that. to that, yes. Which I argued on a recent pod, we're still the antithesis, antithesis. to the Clippers I, in a completely different way. In a completely way, but, different way. I yeah. agree with that. And uh, But like, you know, I mean, I it's like I have to appreciate it, even though it, it's so frustrating to me. You know, so I am probably somebody who doesn't mind it as much. Uh, there's a part of me that sort of likes getting some playoff basketball um, because I think the Warriors were, are playing their best against us. A hundred percent. And and that's one of the things that I think is going to be interesting if we do meet them in the playoffs, because I do think people are going to be like, oh, well, now you're going to get playoff Warriors. And it's like, no, actually, I think we, unlike most other teams, are getting the playoff Warriors now in the regular season. And so I kind of don't mind that that the stakes are upped. And by the way, you know, just for all of those of you who are upset about the jaw, and, and, and this is because I get this from the Grizzlies fans who are like kind of flustered with all this. Uh, I do want to say, you know, what Jaw was talking about was getting to the NBA Finals. And so, you know, you can say, oh, look, look at their record against the West right now. Look at their record on the road against the West, all these things. It's like, yeah, and guess what? Jaw's saying he's not worried about them beating him in the playoffs. Obviously, we're going to lose some games, um, you know, and, and he realizes that too. But what he was commenting on is basically the only team he looks in, out there and says – I don't know if we have the talent and the players to beat them is the Celtics. And so that is kind of lost because I think I just laugh because that is the ultimate. Every time we lose all five of these games, somebody, you know, you just get it on, you know, everybody coming out on social media. Oh, look, he's lost one. But with that, I think that um, I do think some of it has been self-inflicted. We have talked a lot without winning something. Uh, At the same time, we are young. This is part of what makes us fun, uh, like you were saying. But at the end of the day, I do think, and this is coming from somebody who felt this way about the Warriors in 2014, 15, um, you know, especially 2013 when they began to get the really start getting hyped. And like I felt like every time the Grizzlies played them, we just killed them um, because they were soft and all these sorts of things, um, you know, the grit and grind. But there's this feeling of, oh no, is the Grizzlies window done because this this young group of of great players who talk, who dance, who go crazy when they win, who show people up in Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, and Draymond Green, uh, you know, they're coming and they're young and we're older. And that feeling um, that I felt 
you know, when Steph Curry hit that half court shot in 2015, I think it was what was uh, it was game four, maybe uh, that feeling I had of, oh, no, you know, we might our window might be closing. Uh, that is what these other teams are feeling. Uh, that their window is closing. I think that is what Warriors fans, especially who seem to really be the haters, uh, that's what they're feeling. I think there's fans like the Lakers who are just feeling, honestly, just like the closing of an era for them, um, that they now, you know, that there's a team, you know, in their own city who doesn't have any of the titles or any of the love that they have, but has a way richer owner and has somebody and just has a lot more promise and kind of the way they're thinking about things. You have a team like the Pelicans who seem to hate us. And I'm sorry that your stars, you know, that everybody you drafted is either just awesome at offense or just awesome at defense and that y'all, none of your players can stay healthy ever. And that your front office seems to make panic moves. Sorry about y'all. So like, I just think there's all sorts of reasons, you know, to, to kind of hate the fact that we seem to be the team of the decade, you know, that, and that I've been preaching that that I think people are starting to realize that that all the awesome players in the Grizzlies are young. They have all their assets. They have a really bright future. And and I think other fan bases, you know, don't don't love it. And honestly, we talk and that probably is reason too that we rub it in a little bit. And maybe that is something that we need to watch until we win stuff. But uh, but that's what you know, that's the way I feel that that I think we have kind of taken that moniker. Also, I should have these numbers because it's about to be the basis of my next point. But I also think it has to do with the national TV record, which I think right now, maybe 500 ball that we're playing. I would expect it maybe after the last two nights to be even under that since we've gone 0 and 2 on national TV this week. Granted, one of them was NBA TV, but like that also has to be part of it where you see the features on the team and the features are saying one thing, but then everybody watches and they see it something different. And again, the ball bounces one way differently in the Warriors game. I think it's a completely different conversation and maybe they are hating on us still, but it's not going to be because they they're saying we're frauds or anything like that. They're saying it because they're frustrated. They lost and they want to try, try to poke holes in uh, our defensive player of the year's block and steal count. Like, Things like that, which but, are frustrating. And, you know, and it, I mean, it's funny. I mean, I don't like, I mean, it is funny. Like, yeah, uh, other teams don't have fans on the front rows screaming at them and getting into fights with them. You know, that like that, that you know, I'm sorry to tell people there isn't a uh, cardigan curse from Shannon Sharp that that in fact, if Bane just holds on to the ball um, if we just make any free throws, if we honestly just didn't come into the game seemingly hungover, we would have beaten the Lakers, you know. But at the same time, uh, we have sort of, uh, you know, I think had a very road-heavy uh, national TV schedule, which I think has also been part of it. Yep. And like you said, the things that get mentioned on us, the highlights and all those things, I think it's easy to look and see, oh, they're just a highlight team. They don't see all the little winning things that we do that honestly is why we have such a good record. Let's get into some actual basketball mm-hmm. reasons uh, for this recent stretch. I pulled down some numbers. One of the things I want to look at was, okay, the free throws are what they are at this point. Like, I don't know what more we can say about them that hasn't already been said. We just have to hit them. Like the the Bane missing two key free throws at the end of the Warriors game, which I want to go through like the last two minutes of that at some point in this podcast. But like that's killer. You can't have that from your ninety percent guy. But much more. You just like as a team, there's there's something fundamentally off, and I don't know if anybody 
can necess- if there's a fix that can be had, I don't, again, like we've hypothesized that it might be psychological, something like that. Um, our guys just might not be very good shooters. And that might just be, we have to factor that in, right. rely on different ways to win, which we have done in the past so far this season. I also, though, wanted, one thing you can fix is three-point percentage and three-point variance. And I pulled down two different two different uh, sets of numbers. The first was your three-point percentage variance splits when you're looking at home versus road. And the second I pulled was three-point percentage variance in wins versus losses. And so I think it's important to note one of my um, thoughts or theories was Role players that we have a lot of just don't play as well on the road. They don't hit shots on the road like they do at home. If you look at the actual numbers, at home, our three-point percentage is 33.8, which is below league average. On the road, it's only thir- it's 32.1. That's only a 1.7% difference. And when you're looking at like the teams, like for instance, Sacramento, they shoot 40% at home. on the road. So like they have a six and a half point difference in the home versus road, which is they're a really young new team. They have shooters who are very streaky. That makes sense to me. And I did it. You know, if you want to multiply the difference by three, just to get the points, like that's 19 and a half point difference for Sacramento. For us, it's about a five point difference. So, you know, not, mm. not nothing, but right. But when you look at wins versus losses, in our wins, we are shooting 37.7%. In our losses, we're shooting 295 So what that tells me is we are just an inconsistent three-point shooting team. It's not necessarily because right. of home versus road. Like I think we're losing road games for maybe other reasons in right. addition to three-point shooting. But overall, I just think it, it shows that no. not only in the half court, uh, but also transition like our we don't have consistent three point threats besides one maybe two guys and that's what we need and it's just confirming all that we've talked about yeah no I think that's fairly interesting because I do think it shows that you know and and honestly going back to our previous discussion about Jaron I mean I think a lot of it is our home record is uh I think we tend to do all the other things a little bit better at home than we do at the road you know and that's what that shows because other than that, we really are just kind of inconsistent. There really isn't a rhyme or reason home road. Um, you know, it's not like we shoot lights out at home exactly. and go on the road. And so I think that, you know, that it is just one of those things that it's hard to try to figure out, you know, what to do. And and so that does get to where do we need to make an upgrade? Uh, do, you know, <laughs> are we putting all our eggs in the Danny Green basket? Uh, I mean, I, I do think that it does come and go. Um, you know, it is hard because you look at uh, – you know, of the week, the, the the Warriors game to me is the game that I kind of focus on the most because I think it's the game where it's like, I think we played pretty well. Um, you know, I don't think we shot well, but I think we played, you know, up to our standards. And, you know, and, and it's hard. We, there were some plays we that could have made to one in the game. But, but at the same time, I mean, to me that the thing that I remember is jaw coming down, getting doubled, uh, throwing it over to Dylan Brooks, who's wide open. 33 seconds left, uh, tie game, wide open for three. Like, so wide open, it's it's like a pregame practice three. And he just misses it. And those are the kind of shots that do win those coin toss games. Um, I do think that with Bain and Jaron on the floor, that really helps. Uh, another thing that I am a little starting to get a little worried about with Bain 
uh, because I do think Jaron, I mean, Ja obviously has the clutch gene in a sense. Like he he's finished well. I think Jaron, going back even to his rookie year, has hit a lot of big shots late. Uh, you know, and I think we really were missing him at the end of the Warriors game for sure. Bain's somebody I do have some concerns about, and, and I think it is in his head. I mean, I think he's been a great player and he's hit some some good shots in the past, but he had a very rough week going back to even the game we talked about last podcast, the Lakers game. I mean, he, he didn't hold on to the ball. Uh, he missed a couple pretty open threes against the Suns. He missed two big free throws towards the end of the Warriors game. Um, and so that is something, and, and so I'm hoping that's a blip. But that is something else that I'm looking at because he is also our three-point shooter too. Um, but also I think it's because in late-game situations, usually teams don't leave him because he's our one great three-point shooter. But that is something that does concern me uh, too is is Bain kind of having a rough week kind of in the clutch moments for sure. Yeah, and I would if I were a team game planning against the Grizzlies, I would I would let us beat them from three. Yeah, like like I would I would absolutely pack the paint um, and see leave guys open like uh, Ja. I would let him keep shooting threes, even though I mean he had he's just very streaky when it comes to that. And I don't mind Ja taking threes to keep defenses honest. Uh, but is it time to have the Zaire Williams conversation? I mean, this has been absolutely one of the roughest stretches we've seen from him, apart from. One of the best quarters we've ever seen from him in the Phoenix game. Like yes. he was one of the only reasons why I felt like we were back in that game in the fourth quarter. He had that the longest shot in Grizzlies <laughs> yes, history, yes. the longest make, uh, and I felt like that was the spark. And he hit three or four threes in that fourth quarter. Yeah. Um, was playing with a ton of confidence. Comes back out against the Kings. Can't hit a shot. Warriors makes the critical error at the end of the game, and also had a couple other things. And then the Timberwolves, he just looked like a shell of himself, which. Everybody did, yeah. To be fair, but where are you on, on Zaire after this week? Yeah, I mean, I think I, you know, I jokingly texted you off the Warriors game. Um, well, to, to totally, th- you know, basically, I have no no problem with throwing Zaire in any trades anymore. Yeah. Uh, but and obviously that was that was emotion talking, but uh, you know, I still think uh, the potential is there. I kind of think of him as man if he once he turns, you know, in two or three years when he has sort of the more the strength that Jaron has now. Uh, what kind of player he could be. He still is sort of like, man, that is what we're kind of missing, a big wing. Uh, that's sort of like the last thing that we really need. And so in theory, he is what we want. He is the future. Um, you know, it's hard because I don't know how much it's just he didn't get to play the first half of this this year and how much he's catching up. Uh, I do think that there's there. it is very obvious he struggles on the road as, you, as most young and, you know, role players do. Um, but even think, because I was thinking, you know, he had a pretty good playoffs, but then I was going back and thinking, yeah, he had a good playoffs when we were at home. Like he does really well at home, um, uh, but then doesn't do that great on the road. And so I don't know. I'm, I, but he is that, you know I mean? I think the, the, the issues that this week showed is teams are going to leave Dylan open for three and they're going to leave the Zaire, Conchar, Roddy, uh, position open for three as well. And that's what teams are going to live or die with that. And we got to make them uh, pay at least some yeah. for that. I think a concern that we haven't quite focused on yet, but it I feel like is fair at this point in the season to, to bring it up is ball handling. Like we don't have a ton of guys 
right. that can create off the dribble. And I think Zaire, one of the things when you pull up his profile and cleaning the glass, mm-hmm. like the shooting is what it is. Like players go through slumps, especially when they're young. But you look up that his turnover percentage last year was only 9%, which is like in the 72nd percentile. He's at a, he's at a 14.7% so far through the season playing 23 games. And that's like bottom 13% percentile and so I think and every time like when he has to create for himself like I'm nervous right same thing I mean Bain has gotten a lot better but he's not an elite ball handler uh Dylan I mean we we know that he's not uh and and Jaron too I mean I think those are kind of your other three core guy or three uh guys who are really important to your core um and they can't dribble and so there is a lot more put on jaw and we need more creation. And Ja does enough, like himself, to win games. It shows because of how many games we've won so far. And he puts people in perfect positions to hit open shots. And so if I were to pick one of the two, I would pick shooting, definitely, at right. this point. But I think that's just another thing to, to improve upon if you're Zaire and right. another thing to watch because his confidence has been shaken 100%. So yeah. I'd hopefully like to see him bounce back in a huge way especially prior to the trade deadline. Yes. So, yeah, I mean, I think, and and I do think some home games will help, uh, you know, because I was hoping, you know, the positive, like I was talking about with the contra injury would be us just being forced to play Zaire more minutes and kind of get him in the flow. He did, he did have uh, a couple good drives in the Warriors game late. uh, You know, they kind of were trying to get him off the three point line and he actually was able to drive in. Um, and, and I want to see some more of that from him for sure. But I mean, and by that, you know, I mean, Bane being out of the T-Wolves game last night, I mean, it really shows we just don't like without Bane, we really feel that. And, and, and because of that, we end up playing the my most hated lineup, which is all jaw Tyus lineups. Um, not be- and because, but you know, and that's, what's hard is I don't think they're hated because, uh, that many people hate them because they look so much better on offense with two ball handlers, but it's just defensively is just, it's not good. It's a really rough lineup to play them together. And, uh, but that's why we, I think we end up playing Tyus and jaw together a lot is for that creation. And Tyus has been struggling too this week in a big way. Um, and I, I could pull up his numbers, but basically like he was, I'm pretty sure scoreless, uh, last night. Yep. Scoreless against the Timberwolves. Uh, in the Warriors game, he struggled. He had to start in the Kings game. And normally when Tyus starts, when he has more usage, that means uh, a better game. But he was minus seven with only 12 points. And it's not a terrible game, but it's just like it's uncharacteristic of Tyus to struggle like he's been struggling. And so I think uh, Zaire off the bench has gotten probably a little too much blame. Uh, I think Tyus also has just struggled to shoot. The whole team has right. uh, this stretch and this, this stretch. Shows. And that's, you know, and I think that... Uh, when we struggle that we are not a, you know, a, as bad of a shooting team as we've looked the five days, we're not a good shooting team. Right. You know, shooting is not our strength, but we're not as bad as we've looked. And that's, but, but when we're as bad as we've looked the last five days, I mean, last five games, that's why we have a losing streak, you know, because that is ultimately what teams are going to do. I mean, I will say, you know, to kind of be positive for a mm-hmm. second, uh, the positive of the Warriors game, I think, because what you see the negative we've talked about a little bit, you also saw, you know, the f- kind of it's, 
uh, people were showing this clip a lot of, of the terrible possession uh, where we ended up having uh, John and Bain seem to not know what they were doing. And then Bain took a really long three and that ended up being the, the possession Jaren that Jaron fouled out on as well. Like a really like probably one of our worst possessions of the year and, and it being in the final, you know, in the clutch time, people talking about that. And I do. But I think, again, that, that was something that got got grabbed. But when you look at our last five minutes, you what you see is is Warriors doing everything they can <laughs> to get the ball in a Dylan Brooks's hand for a three or to keep us out of the paint and just still scoring, just still getting to the rim and then being able to make a pass to Brandon Clark. And and so I think for as upset as everyone is about this week, uh, I want to kind of remind everybody one. We have a superstar who has shown that that he's a winner, that he can win the playoffs, that he can play at a high level. Um, we have the defensive player of the year, um, you know, that, again, needs to deal with the foul trouble, uh, but it's not as bad as everybody says. So we have an elite defense. We have an elite superstar who can finish. And by the way, we're just super young, uh, which, again, is one of the reasons why I think we're hated. But but that's why, you know, and we can talk maybe more about the trade deadline stuff. I mean, at the end of the day, and I know we're very into we want to win now, you know, windows can always close. Uh, we have to also sit back and realize that our three core people are 24, 23, and 23. Uh, this kind of win streak where, you know, I think we took the Lakers and the Suns not seriously. We partied a lot. Dylan Brooks' birthday. Um I think that the Warriors game that I do think we have possessions like that in the clutch because we're young, we're still getting used to winning. And yes, we're a young team. And so when there's stuff going on at home, we've been on a long road trip and there's this huge national story about our city that we wear, you know, on our jerseys. And, and we're a young team that loves the city, which is one of the reasons that we love the Grizzlies so much. Like all these things are going to add to this kind of losing streak, but we're only going to get better. We're only going to get older. We're only going to get more experienced. And some of this is taking these kind of lumps. Like we, you don't just walk in with throw a bunch of talent together and win a title. If that happened, you know, the big three in Miami would have won a title together. You know, the Warriors wouldn't have taken three, four years to win a title. Um, you know, these are the things that happen. And so to kind of take a step back, going back to the ultimate question, why I'm not panicked is because not only do I still think we could potentially win a title this year, get to the NBA finals this year. We like we have enough now to do it, though. I think, you know, we have an opportunity to be better. Uh, but the future is super bright. And like, even if we don't maybe reach our hopes this year, it's all going to be stuff that we can bring into the next year. I know nobody wants to talk about the next year and the year after that people are concentrating this year, but I just think all those reasons are why I'm not panicked and why I'm excited about the team. I'm glad you segued to that because I have three things I wrote down for reasons to be encouraged. Yeah. The first one was in the first game of this stretch, the Suns game, you're down by 25 at half. You looked dead. You didn't quit. Like, right. This team does not quit. For no. all, all no. that you can say about them, like coming back from down 25 in an NBA game that's away yes. after a Lakers loss, which was so devastating. Like after to, a fun night of partying for Dylan Brooks' birthday. And after <laughs> like it might have taken them a half to wake up uh, yes. from their hangovers, but <laughs> they still did it. And they were within a possession at the end of the game um, to win. And... You know, those clutch moments teach you way more than a, than a blowout does. Right. And so I'm I'm thankful for that game. So that's yeah. a big positive. And, and, and a vet and a vet team would have been like, We have a we have a game tomorrow totally. that we want to win. Let's just pack it in. 
you know, and it yeah. shows it's like almost like naivete youth, you know, them wanting to say, no, we're going to come back and win this. Exactly. Game. The second thing is the front court hole left by Steven Adams has been filled really well by Brandon Clark and Xavier Tillman so far. I've been really impressed with Tillman's rebounding. He doesn't have the size that a lot of centers have, but he's still playing really well on that end. He's still creating second chance points for us, or at least second uh, possessions. Yes. Um, within, and, and then Brandon Clark is just slotting in to a lineup with Jaron that we love to see. It's the Grizzlies' quote-unquote lineup of death yeah. uh, when they're wanting to run and, and play a little bit small. And his hustle, his uh, his no-quit attitude on any play is another reason why we were in these games. Um, and then the third thing was more tactical. I was really glad that at the end of the Warriors game, we had a strategy to go and attack Jordan Poole. If you look, at, mm-hmm. Dylan Brooks is not normally the guy coming to screen John Morant at the end, but he right. but Jordan Poole was guarding Dylan Brooks, and we did that to get Poole guarding Ja, and Ja scored. They did yep. the same thing the next possession with Bain. Bain came down, got fouled. Like we're tactically at the end of yes. these games, Jenkins has done a good job of identifying the player that we need to attack, and we actually have a couple of guys that can attack them effectively. So that was just a small nugget that I really, I mean, it played a big part in the last few minutes while we were yeah. in that game and able to score. And, and I think that's, you know, and just a reminder, you know, the Warriors game, I mean, we want to beat them because it's a rivalry. We hate them, but like they were favored <laughs> and we, you know, we covered the spread in that game. And that, and basically that's just to say is like, we played better, you know, than Vegas thought we would play uh, against the Warriors. They're a really good team uh we're playing them at their place where they're are really good and honestly we were up we should have won that game you know and and some things didn't go our way but that's very promising in the fact that you know barring something crazy we if we see them in a playoff uh matchup we are going to have home court advantage and so the so let's see you know uh we have a close loss at their place let's see how we play them at home and i think what you're going to find is that we're going to come in looking like man but us playing them and with home court, it's, it looks very promising. And I think that goes to my, you know, talk to what you're saying is just we're starting to play for the playoffs. And I think also what that means is, is we might take some losses here or there because we're doing some experimental stuff that uh, that uh, we might not be doing because we're trying to get ready for the playoffs. So that might mean some close losses, you know, and that we're not knowing behind the scenes different little things they're working on, like you were saying, like attacking switches in a certain way that we don't normally do, uh, but we're doing against the Warriors because we're preparing to play them in playoffs. And I go back to a game like the Cavs where there were plenty of times, there were plenty of critiques that we could have had of the way that Grizzlies played in that Cavs game at times, like especially in the first quarter, letting them just go on the run like they did. But we don't talk about it because we won in the clutch. And that's right. to bring it all back to my very first point. People will look at results and I would encourage all of our listeners, look at process before you look at results. And if there's a process issue, like that's that's a real red flag. But for, for so far, we are getting the shots that we want. We're just not hitting them. Right. And do you need to upgrade the spot? Do you need to upgrade the guy who's on the floor? That's a debate. Yeah. But we're getting the shots that we want, right. and we're playing in a good system. Last note that I'll make about that Warriors game. I'm not going to go through the whole two minutes like I said I would, but the very last play, Jenkins in his press conference after the game, 
He didn't say that Zaire missed a step on the defensive end. He said we failed in our help side, which shows me. Like, if you look at the play, I watched it back. We had three guys all had their backs turned to Jordan Poole, and we're all looking at Clay Thompson coming around a curl, and none of them were ready for help side. So you can blame Zaire for that. Like, he should have right. guarded the basket before he, he guarded up on, on Poole. But, like, that's a system break. It's just something small to where Zaire Williams is going to get piled on for mm-hmm. that play, and he already has. Right. But if you hear Jenkins saying, no, like, we play a system that's supposed to cover guys on the backside. Like, we're supposed to cover and help side. So he's more disappointed in the process than the results of right. one guy. Well, and, 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 you know, just to show that, like, if let's say, let's say we, we defend that play well, it goes overtime, and they don't have Curry, so we, we're probably favored in overtime. Um, you know what people are talking about? People are talking about the fact that Clay Thompson took a weird fadeaway shot with like four seconds left uh, on a, in a tie game. Yep. You know, uh, and, and I'm still mad we didn't secure the rebound. But uh, but like it just shows you those close games. And and I just think that goes back because that's the feeling I had, you know, which I'm admitting to myself now with distance, you know, in 2015 when the Warriors beat us. It wasn't, oh, what, you know, what if we did this? What if we did this? What if we did this? You know, and, and there is some what ifs with injuries, but it was like, oh, man, this team might just be better than us. Like none of these five losses have made me feel that way about any of these teams. It's all stuff like we had the open shot. Why didn't we hit it? You know, why didn't we uh, defend this out of bounds play better? Uh, you know, it was a breakdown because we didn't have a timeout. You know, I mean, we didn't call timeout because they didn't. We didn't want to give them a chance to set up a play. So a lot of that, I think that's a really good word from you. Uh, okay, so I, I think we should rebrand the MVP of the week uh, this week to least <laughs> unvaluable player of the week or whatever. Um, yeah. I had a really hard time with this. I don't know about you. I think you went first last time, so I'll yes. take it. Uh, for lack of better options, I mean, we've talked about many times how you can just give this to Ja whenever you want. Um, I actually, I, I think Ja got his stats this week. But it was, I think, more about his being a just a really, really good player that can uh, kind of coast on talent a lot of times. Because I didn't feel that Ja had his like fingerprints all over this week. I think that he started slow, and, or like you would look up and Ja had fourteen, which is credit to him. Yeah. But I wouldn't feel that his impact is being felt like in a, in a material way. So I actually am going to give this to Brandon Clark. I mean, yeah. he didn't have a great first couple of games, but he came out, like I said, and he brought the energy to the Warriors game. When Jaron fouled out, like when um, when Steven Adams was hurt, like we had to rely on someone in these spots to bring the energy. He's never going to quit. In the Grizzlies-Timberwolves game, I felt like he was one of the only ones bringing it, which yeah. uh, no, on a night when there were all the excuses in the world not to play hard at yeah. the very end of a road trip, like I was just impressed. Like, and again, this is not... Like we're rebranding this award for this yes. on, only this week, and on paper, Josh should probably get this, but I'm I'm giving it to Brandon because I I felt like in, with not only his numbers themselves but just intangibles, I was impressed with his energy. I I felt the same way. I mean, that's it's kind of like I I felt like those uh, that I think I agree with you. I think I'm going to give it to Brandon Clark as well for the for the same reasons you just said. I mean, I that yeah, Kyle was kind of like I guess it's time to give it to Brandon. I mean, the the most subtle triple double ever last night in the T wolves. I mean, he got oh, a I triple know. double. Yes. Uh, and, uh, but I was, I was yeah. laughing because I was telling a friend, like, I don't even like, 
you know, I was like, I was kind of complaining, man, Ja just, you know, he just kind of doesn't have it. He doesn't really have a lot of energy tonight that he gets a triple double. Yeah. So I, I want to say, yeah. So I think, I think MVP, I think with how we think about it, I think Brandon Clark deserves it. I just do want a record show. Like this is just how good Ja Morant is. Exactly. He's just, he's just so good. I think, you know, we take him for granted so much. I think in the dialogue, because we're, I think John Morant's being talked about in MVP, should he start the all-star game circles, that people, that when that happens to you, everybody talks about weaknesses and not strengths. And I just think it's so easy to take for granted. So there's a part of me that wants to give it to John Morant just because he's always the MVP, honestly. But I think Brandon Clark's the better choice for this week. And I think Ja will win plenty of Grizzden MVPs going forward. So... All right, so let's get into the preview for these games that we'll do briefly. Only three this week. Uh, we've got a home game against Indiana at 5 o'clock on Sunday. Then on Wednesday, we are playing another uh, home game against Portland at 6 o'clock. Notably, this is supposed to be the Danny Green return game. Uh, and then we have a back-to-back. So next night, we're actually flying out, going to Cleveland and playing in Cleveland, that game is at 6.30. So all three games, mark your calendars, all three games happening and tipping off prior to 7 o'clock this week. Uh, as far as notable injuries, really Halliburton is the only one um, at like a, an all-star level. Uh, for Indiana, he's not going to be playing. Nurkic and Josh Hart are day-to-day. Donovan Mitchell and Kevin Love for Cleveland are day-to-day as well. Um, you know, I would game plan for them playing uh, in these games, but... Um, yeah, all all three of these teams as well. Uh, Indiana twenty four and twenty seven, Portland twenty three and twenty five. Like those are very average teams that are at kind of a critical juncture of their season, deciding yeah. what they want to do. And then Cleveland, obviously, we just had that thriller against them, but now we have to go and play them uh, in their place on a on a back to back. But then we have a break after that. So really, if you can kind of get through this week, get back on track. Um, and before I let you uh, preview these games, I will I will give over a guess who uh, for this week, and it's kind of a it, it's a a non traditional guess who. I have two players here, and I'm going to give you their stat lines, and I'll give you uh, that they play for the same team. But I I would really what I'm getting at is not necessarily who these players are, but, but what these players are. And so player one, 28 and a half minutes per game, 17.7 points per game, four rebounds per game. Player two, 27.1 minutes per game, 8.4 points per game, four assists per game. They play for the same team. Do you know who these players are? I would be very impressed if you did. (laughs) Well, I want to say uh, um, because of one of the three teams we're playing, right? So yeah. I, I want to say Damian Lillard, Anthony Simons. Okay, so actually, player one. Right, do you have any other guesses before we uh, reveal? I'm trying to think. Um, it's not Portland. It's, it's not, not Portland. Portland. Okay, so um, twenty-eight and a half minutes per game, twenty-seven point one minutes per game. If anything, those are the important numbers that oh, I'm getting. Yeah. At. Um, I should have, that should have been a giveaway, honestly, that it wasn't those two. Um, no, I, I probably need a hint here. Okay. Player one, Benedict Matherin, player two, Andrew Nimhard. Okay. 28 minutes and 27 minutes. They combine to be the, the two, uh, rookies that are playing the most for any one team. Um, pretty, uh, like right after them is, is Jaden Ivey and Jalen Duran. But yeah. these two combined for the most minutes that they've been relied upon to play for this Indiana team who has, you know, obviously, um, 
you know, Halliburton has been their star, uh, who's played well. Turner has had a great year for them, but it's rare to see two rookies play at the level that these two have been and carry the load in terms of both minutes, but also production that they're playing. So I just wanted to, and and I'm I'm mad I didn't get it now because Nimhard's been killing it for me on my fantasy basketball league. (laughs) Yeah. He's one of my best pickups ever. So yeah, I'm a little little frustrated now. I didn't get that one. Something to watch with Indiana. So a couple good rookies. No, no, um, very good. But uh, yeah, what do you what are you thinking through in terms when you I mean, look at the Indiana Portland? Yeah, the two thing Cleveland. I think is that that these should be get right games, um, the Pacers game and the Blazers game. I mean, it's hard to know uh, what the emotions are going to be like Sunday. Honestly, just coming back from a five game losing streak, everything that's going on in our city right now. But I assume, I mean, this both the especially against the Pacers, we should be pretty heavily favored, um, especially with all the people coming back from injury and in and out of the lineup. Uh, I also think they might be beginning to come to reality about what their season looks like. Uh, you know, the Blazers is one of those, we should beat them. Uh, they, they're on a big skid going right now. They're struggling. Uh, but you just never know when, you know, they're going to, because of the way Dame and Anthony Simons can shoot the three, they can make games really close. Um, but I would expect that these should be games where we, we look up and it's like, oh, we our Grizzlies are back. We can feel good again, these sort of things. The Cleveland game, obviously, probably um, one of the two best regular season games of, at home this year was the Cleveland game. Uh, this has all the feelings of a schedule loss. It's on the road against a very good team. Uh, it is a back-to-back. I'm wondering with just Bain sitting out a game, Morant sitting out a game, Adams being injured. I don't know what we're going to do. It is a TNT game. So we are going to, uh, if we sit people or if we rest some people, it's going to be a a big story and people are going to complain about it because it is TNT. So I don't know what that means. So that, so I don't, I don't sure. I mean, I think that's a very much a toss up game. If we could win at Cleveland, that would be a huge, obviously we've just lost our last five road games. So I'm not feeling good about that one. Um, but I would hope to go two and one this week. Indiana's one and seven without Tyrese Halliburton. Yeah. So it should be if we lose, I think that people will freak. The panic meter, I mean, I'll say we're not supposed to panic. If we lose that game, I'm not panicked about like, oh, the season's gonna be a disaster, but I am panicked in that there's something going there's something wrong more. Uh, that we don't know about something going on. I mean, that is losing the Pacers. Yeah, that's like players only meeting type. Exactly. Loss. <laughs> uh, Portland, ironically enough, they are first in point differential in the last two weeks on cleaning the glass, but the record does not reflect it no. at all. They blew a 25 point lead to the Lakers last yeah. Sunday. Um, they're on this weird two timelines thing they have, but really one timeline is only Damian Lillard and the rest is the young guys. And yeah. he's kind of the linchpin keeping them from maybe going all in on another tank. He's yeah. going to be making $63 million in like 25, 26 or 26, 27. <laughs> one of those. I was looking just for fun at the Oklahoma city thunder active payroll from last year. The guys who were actually playing in their games that weren't dead cap made $47 million total. <laughs> Last year, Dame is about to go like fifteen million dollars over that. It's just absolutely insane for a uh, a, a guy get, like that. Get ready, Knicks fans or whoever else. You know, Seriously, or maybe Lakers fans. Honestly, I don't know where you know people talk about trades with him, but I think that's the kind of stuff that'll make him really hard to and, trade. Yeah, and then I'm glad I, you made the TNT point because it is a broader story right now in the NBA about stars sitting, mm-hmm. uh, especially on national te- nationally televised games. I feel like that's probably a topic we can really dive deeper on another Grizzden pod and right. maybe diagnose 
the issue, but then also give our maybe potential solutions for that because there's a lot that's being thrown out for for it. Um, all right, we have a ten game prediction to do because Indiana will either put the Grizzlies at five and five or four and six for this last ten games, depending yes. on what happens. In well the game. below our prediction, sadly. Well below you at you at eight. I had seven. Um, so Looking either really way, good early. Bad. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we um, won the first five. Uh, I mean, won the first four. So it was looking really good for a while. So I went first last time. So we'll let you go. What is your ten game prediction for game? Yeah. 51 so or 60? so what's interesting about this is, uh, you know, I look and basically we sh- we should win all the games at home except maybe one, which is the Nuggets game. Uh, coming up but then all three road games are very difficult like we're talking about the three three of the best teams in the east we're going at cleveland at boston at philly uh so rough and, and then at philly we might not still not have stephen adams uh, to guard and bead so so i'm going to go six and four uh which i wanted to go seven and three but i'm i'm scared off um i want to see us you know uh, look look like ourselves again, but I'm going to go six and four with also just some weird uh, around All Star break. Just always has some weird results, so I'm going to go six and four. Yeah, I also went six and four. My games of concern were at Cleveland, at Boston, at Philly, and home against Denver. Um, I think if we'll probably win one of those four, just based on how good we are, uh, we should at least. Notably. This 10-game stretch does uh, go across the All-Star break. And so Mm -hmm. the last three games of this 10-game stretch, which is at Philly, home against Denver, and then home against the Lakers, those will all three be in very late February. So we're not going to have another 10-game prediction, it looks like, until probably March. Yeah, yeah, and and, and, uh, just one, the the one standout is we play at Boston on Super Bowl Sunday. And it's like the national game i don't even know if there's any other games honestly it's it's like it and that'll be a big fun game hopefully we're healthy as healthy as we can get for that game we play a good game because that'll be a very much on abc on network tv on super bowl sunday with everybody kind of sitting around waiting for the super bowl it's going to be like the one sporting event on so it should be fun i want to circle one more uh if this guy is actually injured then it I will uncircle this game, but OG Ananobi took a big fall yesterday and his game is getting an MRI. The x-rays came back negative on his left arm, I believe it was, maybe maybe the wrist, but he landed on his shoulder really weird. Um, home game against the Raptors on Sunday at 5 o'clock February 5th, notably four days before the trade deadline. So this will be, if, if OG's healthy and plays, this will be a, a very big conversation topic around uh, this, assuming that he hadn't been traded yet. L- look then. for Dylan to say, I'm not guarding Siakam tonight, I'm guarding a G. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, well, all of our prayers are with the Memphis community. Um, we hope that, uh, with that said, we hope that the Grizzlies come, come and return uh, into FedEx Forum uh, tomorrow and bring home a win just not only to get them back on track for all but for all that it would mean to this city who uh, really just needs something to rally around right now that's good um, we are not panicking for the record about no. the Grizzlies uh, that could of course change uh, uh, barring the results from next week but we will keep tabs on that we will back be back with you uh, next week then For Kraft, I'm Will. Thanks for joining us.